morning. It's great to be back with you all. How are you guys doing today? Man, God is good, right? What awesome worship. Miss Pastor Phil and Tammy, but I'm so excited to see you guys growing and uh, to be back with you. And this is an exciting season. I mean, I don't know about you, but I see God just doing awesome things. I mean, I just see God opening opportunities in media and to share with people and people receptive to the love of God and Messiah uh, like I've never seen before. Have you guys experienced some of that? I don't know. It's exciting. And uh, I hear you guys are going through a series on the book of Genesis at the moment. So I was really torn because... uh, the book of Esther is coming up, the story of Purim, but I promised Pastor Phil I would speak on Genesis, so we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> so one of the things I love about the book of, of Genesis, there's so much wisdom, there's so much foundation that is there, but probably I love the story of family that we read in the book, and You know, I want to talk with you today about the story about two brothers and about leadership. You know, friends, the power of choice is the power of change. Can you say that with me? The power of choice is the power of change. And the choices that we make in our life shape us for good or for bad. They shape us for blessing or they shape us for cursing. And even when we're stripped of everything, the one thing that can never be taken away from us is the power to choose. And it's the choices that we make at those key moments in our lives that have the greatest effect on who we are and what it is that we are in the process of becoming. God says, I set before you today life and death. I set before you blessing and this day choose what? So hopefully we make wise choices and we choose the blessing and we choose life no matter what the situations or circumstances we find ourselves in. And in the later half of the book of Genesis, we read about these two stories, this tale of two brothers of Judah and Joseph. And you guys remember the story. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He seemed to be forgotten, but he eventually interprets Pharaoh's dreams, gets elevated to the most important and prominent place in Egypt. His brothers are in the land of Canaan. They are, there's a famine in the land. They're running out of food. And so they go down the first time to get food. Joseph doesn't reveal himself to his brothers. And he says, but you know, but he says, if you ever come down, again, you have to bring your other brother with you to make sure that it's true. And they have to go down a second time and this time bring Judah. And you know, the drama of the story of everything that happens, we're going to look at in a moment, but in the final third of Genesis, the focus is more on Joseph than on any of the other brothers. He becomes the most prominent leader among the brothers. He is the one whom the father is mourning for, but his dreams and difficulty sets him on a trajectory not only to fulfill his destiny, but that destiny for all of Israel. But in the end of Genesis, we begin to see a shift from the focus on Joseph as a leader to Judah being the leader, which is kind of strange because sometimes God chooses some pretty unlikely individuals for leaders because it was Judah's idea to sell Joseph to the slave traders in prison. 
Uh, Judah is the one who uh, has relationships with a woman that he believes is a prostitute. <laughs> he is, you know, he, he's this fiery guy, and it seems strange. Why is Judah the one that's being suggested uh, to be put into this place of leadership? And I think there's an important question he's chosen. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Why is Joseph chosen to be the leader over, over, why is Judah chosen over Joseph to be the leader when Joseph is the one that seems faithful throughout Genesis? Let me tell you a story. A short while ago, there was a comic book series uh, there's a comic book writer by the name of Stan Lee. Are you guys familiar with him? And Stan Lee did a reality show called Who Wants to Be a Superhero? So everyone who never gave up their dreams of becoming a superhero became, had an opportunity to try out uh, for this show. And they did this search and they narrowed it down to 12 wannabe superheroes. It was actually only 11 because one of them was really a traitor. And they came complete to the show with their capes and utility belts and all their action costumes. And they gave them for one of the challenges. Stan Lee said, listen, when you hear the cell phone ring, what we want you to do is find a place that you can change into your superhero costume. And we want you to run as fast as you can to the finish line. So the phone rang. And, and the first person that got the call was feedback. He found a porta potty, changed behind the porta potty, and ran as fast as he could to the finish line in the process, ignoring a little child who was crying that they couldn't find their mommy. The next person did, who was monkey woman, complete with a utility belt with bananas on it, did the same thing, ran right by the child that was crying for help, and then there was my favorite one, uh, Major Victory, and Major Victory saw the child, picked up the child who was crying for his mom, and ran around looking for the mom, and then eventually carried the child all the way to the finish line. And at the end of the story, at the end of the, end of the competition, the challenge, Stan Lee said this. He said, the actual goal, which you didn't know of the competition was not who could change the fastest and run and cross the finish line the fastest, but it was to see who had the heart of a true superhero, who really had a heart to care, and who was willing to take responsibility for someone that was in need. And I think so many times in the busyness of life, we tend to run right by people that are in pain. We tend to run right on by people in difficult situations and circumstances. We live in a world today when God is looking now more than ever for people that are willing to be superheroes. A superhero is someone who at their own sacrifice, who at their own expense is willing to take a risk and put themselves out there for the sake of the other. And that was the point of the competition. 
Some people just wanted to win, so they wanted the fastest times. Other people said, you know what? This child in front of me matters more, and I have a responsibility to help those that are around me that are in need, and I believe if we as the body of Messiah would stand up and take responsibility, we would see the world around us transformed. And this is Judah. Judah was the one who was willing to take responsibility. He said, Dad, I will be responsible for Benjamin. I promise on my own life that I will bring him back to you. And then he's standing there before Joseph. And Joseph, as you know, wanted to test his brothers and see what was in their heart. So he put the cup in Benjamin's bag and he finds the cup and he says, all of you are free to leave except this one, this Benjamin who stole from me, he's gonna have to be put in prison. And what was Judah's, what was Judah's heart? What was his reaction? Well, too bad. I'm gonna go back and chill with my father in Canaan. No, what did he say? He stood up to Joseph and he says, listen, I promised my father that I would not come back without my brother and he'll go down to his death in in sadness. I can't do this. He says, let me take his place. What a picture of Messiah. The one who is willing to stand in the gap for us. The one who is willing to take our place. What does Judah do? He rises up and as a leader, he takes responsibility. And I believe that's in large part why God chose Judah to be the family in which kingship would come from, David would come from, Messiah would come from, because more than any of the brothers in the family, he is the one who has said, you know what? I'm going to do something about this situation. I'm going to demonstrate a sacrificial responsibility for the sake of my brothers. Friends, I love that you guys are doing emissions trips in South Africa. Do you know why? Because most people are only concerned about their family. Some people are concerned about their community. Some people are concerned about their state, others about their nation, and others say, you know what? I'm concerned about the whole world. Going on missions and saying, you know what? Yeah, we we live in beautiful Laguna. We live in beautiful Anaheim Hills. But you know what? We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the what? All the nations of the world. And in the beginning, when God created the world, he created it with complete oneness. God created the world in twos. He created day and night. He created sun and moon. He created the sea and dry ground. He created the sixth day and he created the Sabbath. He created man, but man was not complete until he created who? The woman. Thank God for the rib. Praise the Lord. God creates the world in twos, but the twos were always meant to be what? One. And he creates man and he places him in the garden. And what does he see? He sees something in the midst of paradise. Adam has perfect fellowship with God. But you know what? There's something wrong in Eden. There's something wrong in paradise. What could be wrong in paradise? God sees something. What does he see? He sees man is what? alone. And it's what? Low tov. It's not good. Friends, 
There is so much loneliness in the world today. People have thousands of Facebook friends and no real friends. There was something in Eden. There was something. He had perfect fellowship with God. It was not good. And so God created the woman and together they were able to experience the fullness of God's blessing. I got to tell you, there's people in this church, there's people in this community and they feel alone. And you know what the central theological message of it's not good for Adam to be alone? Guess what? Don't stone me for heresy here. The Lord is not all you need. God will not meet all your needs by himself. Because man was alone in the garden, even with perfect fellowship with God, because he created heaven and earth. That means he created us to have a real relationship with him spiritually, but he also, had a, he also created us to have relationship with one another. So let me explain. Jesus is all you need for eternal life. He is the foundation of salvation. He's not all you need for the abundant life. We can't have the abundant life apart from relationship with one another. And part of this responsibility is to stand for one another and minister to one another in our loneliness and to say, you know what? If you're alone, if you're sad, if you're hurting, it's broken, it's my responsibility as your brother and sister to come alongside you and care. It's the great commission filtered through the great commandments to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But so often our lives are so busy, we don't want to take responsibility. So what is our thing? Well, you know what? Just pray to the Lord and he'll, he'll, he'll help you. You know what? You might be the answer to the prayer. And we make people feel guilty. Well, if you were really spiritual, you know, the Lord would be enough for you. But this is This is what happens in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman eat of the tree. Their relationship becomes broken. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the man. The whole blame game has been going on ever since. She made me do it. He made me do it. Then then Cain and Abel, one brother gets jealous of the other. He rises up and kills him. God shows up and he asks Cain that famous question. He said, and, and he says, where's your brother? And what's Cain's response? He says, am I what? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. You and I have a responsibility to the people that God places in our lives to love them and to care for them. This is the essence of leadership, of loving one another in this sort of way, not superficial type of praise the Lord, how you're doing, pat on the back and go, but really going back to the Garden of Eden and getting intimate with one another. Intimacy is the idea of knowing somebody well and being known. And then you can take responsibility and say, yes, I can be there for you and love you. And it's interesting because the, uh, the word for responsibility in Hebrew is achrayut. Can you say achrayut? And it literally means, got the ha, I got to spit our neighbor. It means the other. It means other, comes from the word for other. It's concern for the other more than just for myself. 
It also means after, which means I'm responsible, I'm responsible for what comes after my actions and how it is and how it is that it affects you. And it's interesting, some of the greatest leaders in history, Abraham, Moses, David, you know what they all have, you know what they all have in common? For what was their profession? They're all shepherds. You know, the question is, God doesn't choose the religious elite. He chooses the shepherd. And there's this interesting story about Moses and the Jewish tradition that says, you know, Moses was out there tending the flock and one of the little sheep got lost. And Moses went after that sheep in order to find it. And he picked it up and he talked tenderly to it. And he gave it something to drink and he put it on his shoulders. And it says that when God saw that, he says, if this is how Moses treats a little sheep, how much more will he treat my sheep, the children of Israel? He is called to be the shepherd of Israel. And it was in the midst of that It was right after that that in Jewish thought, it's believed that it was while he was searching for that sheep in the middle of nowhere that God shows up in the midst of the burning bush and chooses Moses to become one of the greatest leaders in history. Why? Because Moses took responsibility and he cared for a little lost sheep. And if he cared for a little lost sheep, how much more will he care for God's people? And he shows up to Moses in the midst of a what? Burning bush? But you know what, in the Hebrew, it's not just a burning bush, it's a burning thorn bush. Why is that important? Because thorns, if you get stuck in the bush, will produce some what? Pain. When my, little, my son was little, he was at his grandfather's house, and he fell in a thorn bush, forward, naked, and without diapers on. Wasn't fun. <laughs> it was a little thorny. When, God, when Moses, God appears to Moses in the thorn bush, what is he saying? I feel the pain the people are suffering in Egypt. I identify with the hardships. I identify with the slavery. And we're coming up, and he tells Moses to take off his shoes. Why does he tell him to take off his shoes? The same reasons why the priests in the temple were to wear no shoes. Because shoes, feet are the most sensitive part of the body. He's telling Moses to take off the shoes like the priest in the temple. He says, I, nothing that's going to create a separation, that's going to create a loss of feeling for what I'm doing among my people or what I'm doing in your midst. There can be no separation. I want you, Moses, to feel deeply. And then we're coming up to the, the book, the Jewish holiday of Purim, the book of Esther. And it's believed that Mordechai, the, 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 Haman's, the, the gallows Haman created to hang Mordecai on was a thorn tree. And then we go into the New Testament and Messiah gives his life. What does he have on his head? A what? Crown of thorns. Why? Because the curse of creation is that the ground will produce thorns and thistles. And God is saying in Messiah, I feel your pain. I feel what it is you're going through. I identify and I empathize with you. Incarnation is about identification. God saw the world was broken and he wasn't like, oh, too bad, that sucks for you. You're in a tough spot. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. God steps out of time and eternity and he becomes a man. We think about the death of Messiah as his greatest sacrifice, but what about the incarnation? The king of heaven, the eternal God, took on flesh and blood, God in a bod. It's kind of that song, what if God was one of us? He was. 
He became one of us and felt everything we felt, experienced everything we experienced. Why? Because the Lord saw the world was broken. There was no one to fix it, no one to stand in the gap. Who would go for him? And the Lord said, he nay nay, I myself will go. I will take responsibility. I will be a servant leader. I will care. I'll wipe tears from people's eyes. I'll sit with, I'll, I'll touch the leper when no one else will. I'll, I'll, I'll be with the prostitutes and the sinners. I'll care for them when no one else was. I will take responsibility. Friends, can we be those type of people like Judah that says, you know what? I'm going to step up because we live in a world where people are not stepping up. They're checking out. Where are leaders? Responsible says, you know, I'm responsible for my community. I'm responsible for the schools. I'm responsible for the nations. I'm responsible for this church to serve. You know what? I'm res- it is what it is because if we choose to engage it or not. And I believe God is looking for believers who say, you know what? I will step up. I will take responsibility. I'm not going to pass off the buck. I'm not going to pass off the responsibility. And Judah's sense of responsibility gave him the chutzpah. Can you say chutzpah? The holy boldness. He was never passive or intimidated. Just like Esther in the book of Esther. Friends, we can't be fearful individuals. We need chutzpah. We need boldness to serve God, to walk at our destiny, not to be intimidated, not to be passive, but to step up and to stand in the gap and to be willing to lay down our lives even for our brothers and our sisters. In Israel, you know, the Israeli army officers have the highest casualty rate because officers in the Israeli army lead the charge with the word achrai, after me, follow me. It's the same word of responsibility. Leaders in Israel's military lead from the front. David went out and in before the people, meaning he led them out to battle and he led them in. Different from the nations where the kings and the generals stand in the back and watch all the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the soldiers you know, do all the fighting where they're kept safe. No, we're not called to play it safe. We're called to take responsibility and lead the charge. I'll never forget, I was, I was at a hospital one day, and I was coming out from a very difficult situation of family losing their child, and I saw a woman, stand, an older woman standing there crying, and I saw all these people just walking by. And I stopped. I said, is there anything wrong? Can I do anything for you? Can, can, I, can I help you in any way? And she told me her son was dying of cancer and I was able to pray for her and she thanked me so much. She said, she said, you know what? I've seen all sorts of people pass. I've seen priests pass and pastors pass with Bibles and, and you are the only one to stop. You know why I stop? I'm responsible. It's a good Samaritan. To love the Lord your God. Who is your neighbor? If there's a person in need in my life, they're my neighbor. I'm responsible. I want to influence church. Your very name says, you know what? We want to influence the community. We want to influence 
Orange County. We want to influence the nation, right? Because you've got a leader that has an apostolic mantle and call on his life that's, that's big, right? You have a community, have a big destiny. You are people of influence. You are people of destiny. But the only way you'll make a big influence is if you step up and say, I will take responsibility. I will be involved and I will engage. We need to be those people that take responsibility. Real leadership is about taking responsibility. The word for, one of the key words for leader in Hebrew is nasi. Can you say nasi? The head of the Sanhedrin was called uh, the nasi. And the president of Israel today is called the Nasi. And you know what the, the, the word Nasi comes from the root word Nasa, which means to lift or bear. The scapegoat bore the sin of the people. The priest bore the names of the people. He carried them on the ephod, on their shoulders, it was written. And true leadership is demonstrated by the amount of responsibility one carries on behalf of others. Galatians 5.2, it says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Messiah. In fact, the word for Hebrew for marriage is nesuin. Can you say nesuin? Because it's like the groom carrying his bride over the threshold is saying, you know what, honey, I am responsible. I will carry you. In marriage, we're called to carry one another's burdens. That's what love does. But the word for to bear the burden is also the same word for forgiveness. And this is the other key to Judah. Judah not only takes responsibilities and bears the burden, but he also, it's also, the story is all about forgiveness. Judah had to learn to forgive himself for his willingness to throw his brother into prison and sell him out. Judah sold out his youngest brother. And he also had to seek forgiveness from Joseph for what he had done for his family and Judah's willingness to lay down his life for Joseph, willing to lay down his life, I mean, for Benjamin was a sign that he had changed his ways and he had changed his life. And one of the greatest examples of leadership, leaders have to be people who forgive. And the greatest, you know, one of the greatest leaders of modern time that embodied this is Nelson Mandela. You guys are in South Africa. Here is a man, I love what he said, he says, South Africa is the only country in the world where you have to be thrown in the prison before you become president. <laughs> right? A, 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 you know, an, a, a black man who grew up under an apartheid nation was, was accused of things and thrown in the prison and beaten and the hatred that he experienced all of those years and he comes out and does he want revenge? No. He speaks about freedom and forgiveness and he lives a life, he goes and meets with like some of the, the, the wife of the, of the man who was like, who, who, was, the, who was like the father of, of apartheid in Africa. I mean, he did these, these magnanimous acts of for kindness and forgiveness and reconciliation. And he became a respected leader around the world. Why? Because he embodied forgiveness and reconciliation. This is Jesus 
He's the greatest leader the world has ever known. He's hanging there on the cross and he says, what? Father, what? Forgive them. They They know not what to do. They're mocking him and he's forgiving them. He's showing them grace. He's showing them kindness. Why? Because he's the son of Judah. The son of this one that we read about in the book of Genesis. And Judah, like Judah, Joseph had a choice. Was he really going to forgive and reconcile with his brothers? Real leaders will forgive. Not only does it take great courage to repent, it takes great courage for Judah to admit he was wrong. It takes great courage to change your ways. But you know what else takes great courage? It takes great courage to forgive the person that hurt you. Forgiveness is one of the greatest and most courageous moral acts that we can perform. Forgiveness, to embody that as a community. Let me tell you what, people say, how many of you guys want more community in your life? How many of you want deeper relationships in your life? I think we all say it, but there's a part of us that doesn't really want it because relationships are messy. You mean I gotta show people my stuff? You know what, if you wanna be in a relationship, you know what, relationships are like sandpaper for the soul. People are gonna rub you the wrong way. They're gonna be some rough spots. It's not easy to be in relationship because people will mess up and people will hurt you and people will be inconsiderate at times. And if you really want to have strong community, if you want to have intimate relationships, if you want to be a leader that leads people because the people that you lead are sometimes going to get messed up at you and mad at you and, and sometimes they'll walk, you know, but it's, we have to learn to forgive. If we're not a community that embodies forgiveness and reconciliation, what are we? It's kind of crazy. It's like there's so much. Look at ISIS in the Middle East. And listen, if there's any place people should say that we're, if there's anything we should be experts on, we should be experts on forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation, not the United Nations. They're not the peacekeepers. We're called to be the peacemakers. So forgiveness, and there's a few keys that we learn about Joseph and Judah and forgiveness in this passage, which is ties to responsibility. We have a responsibility to forgive. What we learn is forgiveness is not an elective, it's a requirement. Joseph forgave his brothers, not on the basis of an apology, but on the basis that his brothers had changed. And even after Jacob dies, his brothers send him a word, supposedly, that, of, that his father said. He says, when Joseph's brothers saw their, family, their father had died, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and will actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus shall you say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brother and the sins which they did evil to you. It's funny, they didn't ask directly for forgiveness. They said, our father asked that you'll forgive us. But this teaches us that forgiveness is not an elective, it's a requirement. It teaches us that forgiveness is not even dependent upon an apology. Paul writes this, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, 
and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Friends, if we're going to go and preach the gospel, the good news, at the heart of the good news is we're forgiven. But how can we proclaim the forgiveness of Messiah when we haven't fully forgiven one another? We forgive because we've been forgiven. We obey the Lord's commandment when we do it. We must forgive out of our faithfulness to the Lord. We must forgive because it's free to us forgiveness. It's kind of like, it's kind of like unforgiveness is kind of like weekend at Bernie's. You're walking around carrying a dead body. Some of us are chained to past hurts and past people and we'll never sever that chain and truly be free until we forgive. That's why forgiveness is not an elective. You can't stay imprisoned. He came to proclaim freedom. We said the power of change is the power of choice. We won't change ourselves or the world until we choose to forgive. Number two, forgiveness can be a long process. Oftentimes, forgiveness is not a one-time action. We have to choose to repeat. We have to choose to forgive what? Often. I love it. Think about it. When when we're hurt by someone, it stirs, stirs something up to us, and we have to forgive. I love it. Peter comes to Jesus and he says to Yeshua and says, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? How often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter thought he's the man. Jewish law says you only have to forgive someone up to three times. Peter's like, I'll double that and add one for good measure. Lord, look at me. I'm going to forgive him up to seven times. That's good, right? I got it covered. I'm spiritual. I'm the rock of forgiveness. And what was, his, what was, what was Yeshua's response? I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to how many times? Seventy times seven. Oh my goodness, now we're in trouble. Crazy. Seventy times? What are you, Meshuggah, Jesus? Crazy? Nice try. Seven. Just add seventy times that. 490 times is a lot of forgiveness. But this isn't an arbitrary number. Numbers matter in the Bible. They matter in music, math, and science. They matter in the Bible. So seven is the universal number of perfection and fullness and completeness. Well, what's significant about 490? Every Hebrew word has a numerical value. 490 is tied to some key words. One of those Hebrew words is tamim. Can you say tamim? It's the word for perfect or complete. You cannot be perfect or complete as an individual or we as a community. We cannot be tamim until we forgive one another. There's no perfection apart from forgiveness. 490 is the numerical value of the word. Let your heart be perfect. Tamim, perfect, complete. 70 times 7. 
490 is also important because Yeshua, Jesus, was born to bring forgiveness. What town was he born in? Bethlehem. Which means what? Does anybody know? Beit Lechem. What does it mean? House of bread. Also, the word for nativity in Hebrew, moladati, means 490. Think about it. The birth of Messiah, connection to bread and forgiveness. Give us this day our what? And forgive us of our, as we forgive those who? He talks about bread and then the next breath, forgiveness. And how do we remember the Messiah's death for us? We do what? We take communion and we break the bread, your body broken for us for the forgiveness of what? Sins. Bread and forgiveness go together. 490, perfect, complete. It's the book of Daniel. Daniel says, oh, how long is this exile going to end? When is it going to end? The 70 years are almost up. And the Lord says, no, not 70 years, 70 times 7, 490 years until the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven because 49 or 490 is jubilee, it's completion, it's freedom. It's about letting everything rest, letting everything go. How long were the people in exile in Egypt for? How many years? Take a guess. 490 years. From... From Abraham to the Exodus, 490 years. If we don't forgive, you know what we are? We're slaves in Egypt. Whether it's unforgiveness towards ourselves and we're like the taskmaster beating ourselves up, or we're like, you know, we're like unforgiveness towards other people. Just real quick, forgiveness. You know, I remember one time some brothers really hurt me in ministry and the Lord told me to write them a letter and tell them I'm, I forgive them and ask them for any forgiveness. There's anything that I did towards them to hurt them. I'm like, Lord, they hurt me. I'm not, what did I do? And the Lord said to me, do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be like me and make the first move? Forgiveness doesn't require agreement on what happened in the past to cause the hurt. Joseph doesn't say, listen, I, I just got, I'll forgive you, but first renumerate re- to me in detail every single thing you did wrong against me. And if I agree on the facts, then I'll forgive you. He forgives them. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Would you meant for evil? God has meant for good. Forgiveness means letting go of our desire for revenge. Joseph didn't want to take revenge on Judah or his brothers. He realized that God was in it all along. There was a woman who got bit by a rabid dog and it looked like she was going to die from rabies. And the doctor said, put your affairs in order. And she started to scribble names of people on a piece of paper. And he says, are those all the people you want to say goodbye to? And she says, no, those are all the people I want to bite before I die. forgiveness does it you don't rehash the past sometimes we need like men in black the neuralizer god just help us forget proverbs 17 9 he who forgives an offense promotes love 
He who forgives an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Sometimes people in our lives have conflict, and instead of pouring, pouring water on the fire, we pour oil on it. Let's not be those types of people. Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing the hurtful actions of other people. If someone really hurts us and they ask us for forgiveness, we can say, you really hurt us. We don't have to sugarcoat it. Make the first move. When we're hurt by someone, I know it's hard, but we should try and make the first move, even if they don't. It's Romans 5, 6. For while you were still helpless sinners at the right time, Messiah died on behalf of ungodly people. Now it is rare even for someone to give us his life for the sake of the righteous, maybe for a good person to have the courage to die. But God demonstrates his love for us and that Messiah died on our behalf while we were still sinners. And there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. That's why it's an elective, not a requirement. This is important. Just because you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you have to reconcile with them. If someone hurts you, we have to forgive because unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. It creates a bitterness in us that prevents us from having loving, intimate, real relationships in community, taking responsibility, helping others, demonstrating the love of Messiah. But, but here's the thing. If the person... We need to forgive the perpetrator, the person, but here's the truth. If they don't realize what they've done wrong and promise to change, we don't have to reconcile with them. You'd be a fool to enter back into a relationship with an unhealthy, hurtful person. You only reconcile if they forgive. If they ask for forgiveness, recognize what they've done wrong. But we do have a responsibility to forgive and hopefully that leads to reconciliation. And part of my hope is that there has been this 2,000-year divide between Jews and Gentiles, and we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation between all different races and, races and ethnicities, but the truth is, if you're a doctor, and so much of modern medicine, when we give people medicine today, we're only treating the symptom and not the root sickness. If you treat the symptom and not the root cause, you're only going to mask the symptoms. You don't remove it completely. The root of all fighting in the world goes back to the separation, yes, between man and woman, but also the separation between Jews and Gentiles. It's like, I love it, we're getting ready, pray for us. We need lots of prayer. We're getting ready to launch a show. I have a friend who Joyce Myers gave, a t- his t- her, t- Joyce Myers gave her TV station to a friend of mine, an Arab-Israeli believer from the Middle East, and they're seeing... They have 30 million Arab viewers. They're seeing mil- like 10 to 12 million Muslim people come to faith every year, all in Arabic. He's like, Jason, I want you to be the first English speaker on our channel, a rabbi, a Jew. It's going to be the most controversial thing we've ever done. But I want the Arab world to know about the Jewish roots, the Jewish Jesus. And I know you love Arab people. I want them to see a Jew who loves them. Because there's nothing more powerful than love and concern and care. And you know what? People are like, Jason, don't do that. It's crazy. You're going to open yourself up to attack and who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, some of these guys get death threats. But you know what? I feel a responsibility. Not to play it safe, 
But if Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah, and he can bring reconciliation like I've seen him do before between Jew and Arab, there's nothing more powerful. I I think I share with you, I shared this message at the call Detroit, and 30,000 people, and this former Arab terrorist gets down on one knee before me, and he says, forgive me, and the Arab people, forgive the sons of Ishmael for our hatred towards the Jewish people. And there was this moment of reconciliation of Isaac and Ishmael coming back together, and the place exploded and afterwards the next day this girl comes up to me she says i'm lebanese um, and israeli soldiers destroyed my grandparents farm and they suffered greatly she says i've hated the jewish people but when i saw you and the and, and kamal on the stage and your love for one another jew and arab she goes something moved within my heart and i had forgiveness and i wanted to see reconciliation would you pray for me that you that i would love the jewish people right That's what we need to see. That's what God is doing in our world today. And friends, partner with us. Pray for us. Come to Israel with us this summer. Join us for a Passover Seder next month. It's going to be awesome. We'll have some information. And it's like... The story, this is what God is doing, this radical love and forgiveness, because yeah, supernatural signs, wonders, healings, giftings, growth of the church, all of this stuff is good, but I believe the greatest gift, the greatest sign of the reality of God is shalom. The greatest blessing, nothing missing, nothing broken. If we can be a community The greatest sign of the presence and power of God in our midst is the forgiveness, reconciliation, and unity that occurs in the midst of our community. Presence, power, provision, proportional to the unity of his people. If we don't have that, what do we have? So I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close in prayer. Friends, how many of you guys saw the movie Unbroken? Is it Unbroken? You know, Louis in the story, all the tragedy, all the hardship, and it wasn't until he met Billy Graham and he, and, 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 he could, and he received the forgiveness of Jesus that he could forgive the bird who had tortured him in that Japanese internment camp, and then his life changed, his, his post-traumatic stress left, his anger and depression was gone, and, and then... He actually wanted to go and find the man who was his captor and forgive him. His life was changed and transformed. Friends, it takes courage to forgive, but freedom brings forgiveness. It takes courage to take responsibility, to say, yes, I will help my brother. I will be there for them. But you know what? It's not just the greatest gift we could give to somebody else. It's the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves. So Abba, I just want to invite you right now to come with your healing presence and your healing power. I am asking for a spirit of forgiveness to permeate this place. Anyone that we've hold bitterness or offense to, I'm asking God we would let that go. We cannot be promoted. We cannot enter into the place that you want us to because that unforgiveness will hold us down. I'm asking God that we would not only forgive, but that we'd be agents of reconciliation who say, I am going to take responsibility. I thank you that there are world changers sitting seated before me here today who you are calling to take responsibility for you for, to fight human trafficking. That you're calling to to fight poverty, to fight homelessness, to fight Lord abuse 
in this community to help fight depression, to help God make a difference, to take responsibility in this community and in this state that you are going to raise up to do great things and, and position them in places like you did Joseph and Judah for the sake of your glory. And we pray for the missions team in South Africa, Lord, that they would carry that spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation for the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we thank you, Lord, that you laid down your life for us, that we might know that freedom and forgiveness. In Yeshua, Jesus' name, amen.